see everyone. Uh, we are a people learning and living the life and the practices of Jesus. That's what we're about, right? We are at different places on that journey, but as a faith family, we are all on the journey to live faithfully, bringing heaven to earth and glory to the name of Jesus himself. It was uh, August 1985. Our, our youth group had done a slew of fundraisers to get to Colorado for a conference where I fell in love with Jesus. Uh, one of those uh, fundraisers was selling light bulbs, right? You gotta love that. I see the signs about selling mattresses by some, some group. It just is really, I mean, how many mattresses are you going to sell? But anyway, <laughs> light bulbs back then, they would go out, you know? I don't know how many we sold. All right, sorry, that was kind of a... There were 13 of us from our youth group who went, and many of us, if not most of us, made a decision for Jesus that week. I remember back, I remember I came back from the conference where through the mentoring of my youth pastor and my church family, I began to, to do the opening for what we had back then called CLC during midweek. I would read scripture. Uh, I also began a prayer group at my school during lunch and, it, and was invited and transported friends back and forth to youth group and church. Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, anytime there was an activity, I would make myself available. The decision I made in the summer of 85, not 65, changed my life and led me to meet where I am to this very day. There were others of the 13 of us, though, who are not following Jesus to this day. In fact, some of them had, the, had a boldness and a fire. I remember at the beginning of their decision, we, some of us went to school together. And I, I was recalling to Kathy, even yesterday morning, as I was kind of sharing with her what I was going to share, I mean, I remember being teased because I wouldn't wear the T-shirts of the day, right? Some of you may still have some and you wear them. I just couldn't get myself to do that. I knew I'd made a decision, but I just didn't want to wear the T-shirts that went along, right? The Pepsi or whatever they made them into. Yet at this point in their life, many of them are not following Jesus. And some of them even have gone on to deny who he is in their lives. Some have drifted into mediocrity of their faith, which we are warned about in in, by Jesus in Revelation. So the question that I have, and maybe you have, because uh, maybe in your journey you've had something similar. Maybe you're one of those that is in mediocrity this morning. Kind of like, yeah, yeah, I know, but... My question is, what, what took place? What's the difference between me and... All of my friends, and I still consider them friends, <laughs> did they fake their faith? What happened? Well, we may not have heard the same message. I mean, we heard the same speaker, but not the same message. I, ple- I hope you understand that moved us. We all bonded in these moments with the decision to follow Jesus at a closer, closer walk. To read his word and to allow his spirit to move in us. 
That's where we're going to be this morning. So turn in your Bibles as we have already started in Matthew 13. And as you do, uh, let me pray. Father God, I, I ask that you would open our eyes to the word and not my words. That the truth of your word would penetrate the boundaries in our minds and our hearts, the, the walls we have created. And maybe there aren't any, Lord, but that you would, you would be freed to speak and be available to us. Thank you for your word, but we equally thank you for your spirit that allows us to lean into your word and learn from it. May we do so. To honor your name. To bring heaven to earth, not only to us, but through us. In Jesus' name, amen. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up, and some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, and thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear, Jesus says. So we left off last week where Jesus has confronted the Pharisees with a direct warnings and tells everybody that those who do not do the will of the Father, um, those who do the will of the Father are my family. My disciples. I mean, he's doing this as his, his mom and dad, or, or his mom and brothers, excuse me, are kind of saying, hey, they want to talk to you. The same day, he goes off to the lake to set up his beach chair, maybe catch a break and his breath, and once again, a crowd comes to him and finds him and begins to gather around him. Jesus gets into the boat and you have to understand uh, the, the crowd was always around Jesus, it seems, doesn't it? And I think not only to create this natural amphitheater effect from the boat, because we all know that when people are in the middle of the, of the lake, you can hear everything they're saying, and you wish, cover your ears, kids, right? They knew that back then. But I think it was also to create a buffer, a buffer between he and, and this crowd that just continued to press in. I mean... Right? The sight is common for Jesus, and we have seen it over and over again. Again, Matthew 5 is the scene where Jesus shares the kingdom manifest with the disciples who gathered in and a large crowd, right? Here again, gathering and giving away teaching of the kingdom. By the way, this section of scripture parallels that section of scripture, scholars tell me. We see that Matthew tells how Jesus is sharing about the kingdom. It is in parables. 
We're familiar with parables throughout Jesus' teachings. If you've been a part of the church and if you haven't, well, we're familiar with riddles. Uh, in Scripture, we're familiar with the lost coin, the lost son, or the, uh, yeah, and the man who built his house on the, on the sand, right, or the rocks. We've all been introduced to parable-like uh, kid stories, too. Did you know this? Humpty Dumpty and the tortoise and the hare, they're parable-like, right? Parables are these short stories or metaphors which challenge our reality by pointing to another reality to live differently in, what, in light of what they present. C.H. Dodd says this, and I like this, a parable is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life that, uh, life that arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness and leaving the, mind suffic- uh, leaving the mind sufficient doubt about the precise application to tease it into active thought. I don't know how many times you've been through a Bible study on the parables, and if you ever have, uh, go ahead and do it, because there will be people going, are we sure we got everything out of this? That's all he's saying there. That is all he's saying. He's saying that when a parable is told, you're kind of like, whoa, okay, this could go a lot of different directions. And it continues to beg us in our minds and our hearts to go back and to implore it again. So there are a couple of things I want to pick up on what he, on what he said. Parables are common. They take advantage of common life. They are also strange, leaving the mind to come back to what has been shared and coming back to take another look, as I've said. So this one is about a farmer who goes out to sow seed or to spread seed on the ground. Uh, Can we just clearly state it's not about the seed sower? All right, We'll we'll just clear that up. Sowing would not have been strange to them, though, as it may be to us, depending on where we have lived. Yet the the conversion is not, you know, the, the conversation would not be have lost on them uh, at all. This is God, they know this, sowing and spreading the kingdom seed. That's what is happening. They understand this. They have seen this all throughout their Hebrew Bibles, not only in this parable. They understand that this is what God does, and this is what he does through his prophets. The people would have understand that seed will only grow if it's in the right kind of soil, so in our, in our maintenance room, we had this uh, potting mix. Um, and you know what kind of potting mix this is called? Come on, you know. Miracle grow. Because for some of us, it's a miracle if anything grows, right? I don't know. I do remember as a kid, uh, it may sound strange, but I used to make this stuff. Uh, big cement mixer. You're probably like, Really? Yeah, big cement mixer, you know. The crazy thing that I just was thinking about this, so I thought I'd share it. <laughs> you know, one of the things that they, I don't know if Miracle Grow does, but we used to put in it is styrofoam. Did you know that styrofoam is in your, you know why? To give the soil rest. No. <laughs> Space. Space to create, but you think about it. Think of, all right, there's so many correlations I could start going off and preach a whole other sermon just about soil itself, uh, which, hey, we're going that way anyway, so let's go. <laughs> Jesus states there are four kinds of ground or soil on which seeds have been scattered, right? The path soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. 
But he, he leaves us, before, he, before we kind of open that up, with this, with this statement at the end. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Matthew 11 uh, says this, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah to come. And then he says there again, Whoever has ears, let them hear. Right? He's, he continues to lay this on people and says, there's something here. I, what I want us to pick up on in just a couple of verses that we've looked at, but he says it in other places, that Jesus links, and if you, uh, I don't think I created a slide for this, but hearing equals acceptance. Hearing equals acceptance. Now, that a person, if he hears with his ears, that they will accept and live the reality of what they're hearing. That is not how we live. That's not how we work. And let me go back a little bit. Uh, There's this word, uh, listen, from the Old Testament. Oftentimes we see it most often around uh, the Shema. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, the Lord Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. Prior to this, uh, where God is using Moses as a mouthpiece, he's explaining that, that this listening is obedience. It's doing what is being asked. And so when we see this, this, uh, this equation of hearing equals acceptance, it is on this understanding from their cultural norm that listening equals that you're going to do it. That hearing, sorry, hearing is equal that you're going to hear it, do it. It's not, they heard what Jesus was saying. They heard it, and we'll find that out. But it's more to it than just with your ears and your mind. So the question then becomes, I think, uh, just the same as the, the uh, disciples. Why was he using parables? I mean, Jesus has, or the disciples have this question, and I think it should come to our mind at the same way. If he's saying, let those who have ears to hear, let them hear, there is a there's a, uh, there's a hiddenness, it seems, from what he's saying to about what he wants then those accept, right? So if you're wondering about that, and that raises a little bit of tension in you, it should. But hopefully, in these next few moments, I can dispel some of that tension for you. And so can Jesus. They wondered why, and so should we. That's really the clue that we're saying here. In verse 11, he, said, he replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Right? Now the tension's raising a little bit. Let's make sure, we are, let's, let's make sure you and I are grasping uh, some of the words that he is saying. The you in this verse, who's he speaking to? His disciples. Yeah, his disciples are asking, Hey, Jesus. If, if you want everybody to hear it, stop speaking in parables. I mean, that's not what they say, but that's what they're saying. And he's saying, we're going to continue to speak in parables. But I want you to know, you disciples, those of you who are following, and the them are the crowds. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak in parables. 
Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. There should be a little bit of tension around that for most of us, right? There's much to wrestle with with this text, and, and not everything is clearly apparent. It's meant even in this explanation, is meant to draw the disciples back to chew on Jesus' words and ruminate them, not just on the parables, but even on what he has brought forth to them. So why does Jesus use parables? I think from what he has just said, one, to draw us out of the crowd to draw us out of the crowd. Those who want to hear, we, have to, we will be separated from the rest of the crowd. You cannot follow Jesus within the crowd. You must personally follow Jesus. He is telling the disciples, I want you to know. And if you're part of the crowd and you hear, then you are to follow suit and live. Number two, to slowly reveal the kingdom truths. How many of you want God to download everything he knows to you in this moment? Most of you wouldn't, I mean, you couldn't contain it, right? If, if you would have known 10 years ago where you would be today, could you have handled it? Jesus is gracious to us by unfolding truths to us when and as we need to know it. His spirit is good that way. His word is true to that. So we learn and walk with him, and as we do, there's a progression of revelation that he unfolds to us. And as he's already said, to distinguish between calloused hearts and receptive hearts. Calloused hearts and receptive hearts. See, the parables are not the issue. The disciples thought so, and we may think so too, but the parables are not the issue. The heart of the person is the issue before they even get to the parable. You catching it? Because if somebody is desirous to learn from Jesus, to live into his spirit and to learn from his word, they will be malleable in the potter's hand. They'll be malleable in the potter's hands. It's one of my prayers over this last few weeks. Some of you know that because of what has transpired in the outpouring at Asbury. I think our hearts, our minds, our paradigms, our thought processes need to be radically redefined potentially with what the Lord will introduce to us in new wine and new wineskins. I am anticipating some new things from young people, and I can say that now, young people who are going to introduce Jesus to the world in ways that we have yet to see. And my prayer has been for my heart to be open to that because I have not always been open to that. I can be honest. Like, ah, right? Our, 
Jesus' parables are not brain teasers intended to stump people as he goes on. There's, there's nothing hard to understand about the parables unless one's mind is already hardened to the truth. So parables do not harden hearts going on. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it. And hear and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jesus concludes the conversation with the disciples and begins to then readdress the crowds. There's a, a, there's a belief that, that potentially the disciples were in the boat with him. So if you're wondering maybe about the interplay that's happening here, which is crucial. Like if they're on the shore and they're yelling, hey, Jesus, I don't think that's how it happened. But maybe, but some believe that he was probably in the boat with them and they were like, hey, Jesus, if that's the case about parables, then why are you telling about parables? And he turns to them and addresses them. That's the us and that's the you and them conversation. Then he turns And some believe, and it's potentially the truth, he begins to then explain the parable to the whole crowd. Listen to what the parable of the sower means, he says in verse 18. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, and thirty times what was sown. When we heard it the first time, most of us were like, I want to be that crop. I want to be able to produce the, the hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. But before we get into it, uh, scholars believe, and I believe also, that it's not about how much you produce. It's what kind of soil you are. See, seeds grow in good soil. Good soil is soil that hears. Pretty simple, right? I wish it were that simple. As I've already explained, I have tremendous heartache for friends who have accepted the word, accepted Jesus, and I believe have walked away from Jesus. He has not walked away from them. So let me ask this question. How will you hear the message of Jesus? How do you hear it? So let's walk through the soils. Path soil. These are people who receive the message and do not understand it. The word in your Bible is listen, and again, I brought the importance of that word, yet the original, uh, in the original, it would have been uh, addressed as you before listen, right, in that section of Scripture, if you have your Bibles open. It would have said you listen, which is referring to the disciples and the crowd, I believe. Understand is the key in this. We often think in terms of the mind, yet Jesus is wanting the hearer to know he means that their understanding is a heart understanding, 
a, a thorough embodiment of what they are hearing while the mind is involved. Obviously, when the heart is involved, the whole, our whole bodies are involved, right? When you look at the verse, you will see that it was, it was sown into the heart, but it doesn't get in. It is quickly snatched away. The soil was too compacted to sink in. So what does this mean? If you're new to Jesus or if you know somebody who's new to Jesus, the Bible, community of faith, and family, let me encourage you in this way because your soil may be compact. That's really what he might be saying to us. Allow the message to soften the soil which has been packed in by other things, other tramplings. I mean, we just have to keep going back to it and allowing it to do the work that it will do over a period of time. It's like, it's like moving through a new, new field. It takes several years to get it where you want it to be and where Jesus wants it to be. And you have to be faithful to the disciplines and the practices of Jesus in order to bring those about. And those seem kind of rigorous. I've been riding my bike a little bit more these days, uh, inside, folks. Um, and um, I've, I've, I've hit some goals that I wanted to hit, and I've been thinking, like, I, all right, I need to take it up another notch. We don't need to be totally exhausted every day. Uh, and so... I think, I think just practically, it's leading me to some practices I need to do. So if I want to ride hills stronger, I've got to do some hill workout, yep, on my exercise contraption I have in the basement. Uh, you know, I have to do those things in order to get better, uh, to break up the soil, to actually, actually break up some muscle fiber and allow it to regrow in different ways. If you, have, if you have new people, if you have people in your life that are new to Jesus, this is absolutely essential, and it seems almost painful, doesn't it? Many of us, though, may not be new. We are consumers of content, right? Uh, how many, well, okay, I won't ask. I was going to say how many were on the news this morning already. I mean, just, just opened up something and just got a flood of information, Right? I just ask, don't answer. So podcasts, uh, articles, devotions, theology, or any other topic of your choosing, you could go on and on and get more information than you could ever imagine to do anything with. And this is all good, and it can be vitally helpful. Yet our day and age of information has changed how we take in information. Neil Postman, in his, uh, 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 you know, his pivotal book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, I think it was written in 2005, says this, Thus, we have a great loop of impotence. The news, the news elicits from you a variety of opinions about which you can do nothing except offer them more news, offer them as more news about which you can do nothing. Now, that may not make sense, so hopefully I can put it into this idea. Most of the stuff that we read about, consume content-wise, we just view it as entertainment. It, It does nothing, absolutely nothing, to change our very beings and behavior. And when I say beings, I mean our soul. 
but we consume and consume and consume, and I'm in there. I've admitted it to you. It's just so easy to, like, know the headlines of the day, right? If that's as simple as it was. And what Neil Postman was kind of forewarning us about and what he had already seen was that news had changed. So if we lived in a small community where a fire would break out, and I, when I say small, let's say it's 800 people, all right? Or 800, you know, in your neighborhood. A fire would break out. You wouldn't go, hmm, I wonder if the fire department's going to come. But it would move you to action. You would grab a bucket. uh, You would grab a hose. You would grab, uh, you know, and I was raised to grab a broom. You know, I mean, you would do something. But the reality is, is the content that we consume today does not move us to do anything. It is just pure content. And it's contaminating us. It is compacting the truth. So another thing in this whole area, I need to hustle along, don't I? Wrestling. So we have come, and I have even used the word from here, and I don't think it's all bad all the time, but we have said you need to wrestle through your faith uh, with people constructing and deconstructing their faith on a regular basis and a continual basis. Uh, you know, I get, I get this on a, on a conceptual side but there is another side that I was presented with this week that I thought is absolutely true we can wrestle until Jesus comes home but if we don't do something with what we're wrestling with and put it into action put something into action we'll just talk ourselves until we're blue again this information and knowledge is not bad per se yet it could be dangerous for a disciple of Jesus as I've pointed out The good news of Jesus demands implementation of the kingdom practices into our lives. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's trying to bring here, I think, on the compacted path. There's an evil one, too, in the world who works to keep the message on the surface and snatch it away. Can you see the demonic working underneath and around all of this? Jesus said it clearly that the evil one wants to come to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. And he is finding every way that is as subtle as can be, because it's never as obvious as we want it to be, to do that. So the rock, rocky soil. They hear the message, it goes, it goes into the soil, and they are marked by joy. It's that person who goes all out for Jesus after they have said, yes, there is nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being on fire with Jesus. It kind of reminds us of this middle school, uh, you know, lights that many of us had. You know, we went to camp, we did those things, and we're on fire. It's even, I'm thinking of one of my friends who came back from that trip in 85. Just on fire. But it's like a tree, I kayak, um, and it's like those trees or those the sprouts of trees that are growing off of the mossy side of a rock. And they sprout up and you go, oh, that's so pretty. It's so beautiful. And we, we're kind of enamored with it because of, its, uh, because of creation's ingenuity of using whatever it has before it. But it is not rooted in anything except for that, that moss or that shallow soil that's on the top of that rock. Nothing more. It can't go any deeper. It can't go anywhere and grow only to that place. 
because it has no roots. I think, I think that our, our desire for joy-filled, fun-filled living for Jesus, there's nothing wrong with that. The ecstatic uh, desire for worship even, there's nothing wrong with that. But there, takes it, there again, it takes a while for our faith to find its rootedness in soil. And so if we are in that place in space, or we know others who are in that place in space who have have sprouted up quickly and made, deep, <laughs> made strong declarations of which Jesus wants them to follow through with. Don't hear me wrongly. We need to come alongside them and help to redirect their roots to a soil that is going to allow them to grow. Leon Morris in his commentary says, most translations say that he falls away, but there's something more than falling he takes offense. That is to say, he comes to regard adherence to Christ as something as a trap. Something of a trap. It means persecution. He wants nothing to do with it. He is repelled. The time of trial means the end of the person's adherence to Christ. I think it's clear that if you're not rooted, that those things become, you know, recommendations or admonitions become repelled. As followers of Jesus, we want those who follow Jesus to come to understand that suffering is part of the journey. It, it is simply part of the journey. P- persecution is a piece of the pie, if you will. In fact, Jesus states it clearly in 9.23. He says, uh, Luke 9.23, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Matthew 16 goes on and says this, a little bit later from where we're at, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So you cannot have the life of Jesus without the suffering of Jesus. In our day and age, we attempt to avoid that at most costs. There will be joy, and there should be joy, but there also will be suffering. So let me define a couple of terms that beyond our, our English language, I think have some, uh, some definitions to us. When he refers to trouble and persecution, they are referring to two, two different things. Trouble is just the daily aspects of denying yourself. I mean, that's what he's talking about. There are daily things that if, if it was left to our druthers, and we're honest with, the, with ourselves and with others around us, we, we would be doing this over here instead of this over here for Jesus. But he calls us to deny ourselves. Persecution isn't that which is inflicted by someone else on you. Right? It's on someone else on you. Thorny and weedy soil. This soil is the situation, uh, is in this situation, the issue is, is of this, is a, uh, of the, not of the seed. In fact, the soil is quite, is of the, is not of the seed, it's the soil. Uh, And the soil is quite good. Uh, But the seed is then choked out by the, the things of life around it. And it eliminates the ability for it to be fruitful. He says the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth are the things that choke it out. So the anxiety of life, the worries are those Jesus has in mind that the everyday things of life which subtly begin to take up residence in the mind and heart of the follower 
over against what the word says and word is true. So how does this take place? Uh, Through distracted listening. I don't know how many times I find myself there where I'm not fully present. Uh, A few months ago, uh, I was asking people to just pray that I'm present. Uh, Present with the Lord and present with the people in front of me. Because there are so many things around me that vie for my attention. And it could be, could be the anxieties of life or this, or the mixed, mix up of priorities, the disordered desires that we have. Jesus, Jesus cautions the disciples in Matthew 6 about the worries of this life which can sideline the message of Jesus and the life of and in and through Jesus. Jesus states that it, it can be about food and clothes, yet this was never meant to be a final list. So what's yours? See, I think we can find ourselves each here. It could be work, could be health, family, transportation, focusing on anxieties. I mean, we just reinforce things in our lives in a negative way over and over again. And I think Jesus is saying, oh, no, no, no. Focus on me. Give your attention to me. And part of it is this idea, I think, we have this false belief that we need to bring all of life under our mastery and control. Now, we may not say that. We may not even think of it clearly, but... What is it we're trying to do with all these anxieties that we have? We're trying, to, we're trying to master them. We're trying to control them in some ways where I think Jesus is pretty clear. says that you can't. Never were meant to do that. Then I'm the only one who is meant to do that. In fact, you can't even control yourself. You have to surrender to me to have self-control as a fruit of the Spirit. And then he says, wealth. I'm not going to go long in this, but wealth simply and subtly deceives, doesn't it? It just just does. Um, We could go into all of the things about being first world uh, people and some of the things that we just have anguish about when we don't have it, right? It just slowly and subtly deceives and and moves in and takes, takes the kingdom away. The good soil, though, hears the message and understands and produces. So, what is our next step? Let me ask this. Uh, maybe you figure this out, but I'll ask it because the Spirit's been asking it. What soil am I today? Hopefully, we don't switch through soils all the time, but we may be finding ourselves, meaning that every day we have a different soil, but we may be finding ourselves in the place where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm the, uh, my, my seed, uh, you know, I'm, the, the seed's planted today and has been for a while in the thorny soil. It's just life is choking it out. I'm, not, I'm less, con, less in love with Jesus and less concerned about the kingdom than I am about you name it. Because Jesus says to seek first the kingdom, Right? What soil will I become? Because I think that Jesus is also saying that that is your decision to do. That's my decision. We have that choice to become the soil that has ears to hear. On one level, we can see that this parable is is instructive to those that are there. That Jesus is looking at his disciples more specifically because he's always and pretty much only teaching them. Everybody else gets the residual, would be my argument. And that, that they need to hear what he's saying about their, the seed that's been implanted in them. 
I mean, that is what is being said here. And then the residual from the crowd. But what is being said on the other hand to us? I think he's also giving us, as we've walked it through, all of us a lesson not only in, our, uh, not only in receptiveness to the message, but for a yield and, and for the kingdom and the king and the sower serve. We have to come to this place where we desire to be the good soil and we're d- willing to do whatever it takes to become the soil that produces that 160, 30% more, up to 100% more. So there are three different Three different categories I think we can find ourselves in today. The unreceptive. The unreceptive. I mean, to, to the person who is unreceptive today, and maybe that's us, he would say, whoever has ears, let them hear. Just listen. Listen and follow what I've asked you to do. There's also the shallow soil. And I think of those who are in shallow soil of Colossians 2 because it, this follows suit. So then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. He is telling the Colossians, look, look, don't look to the left or to the right. Allow your roots to go deep. Remember the joy of those early days and allow it to follow Jesus just as we would want. And then he's talking to the distracted. The distracted. There's a lot of verses we could pull out for this to just kind of help us, guide us back into it. But no one can serve two masters. And I think we almost could stop there. No one can serve two masters is what Jesus is saying. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve. And he puts God in money. And I think that's fair. But I think the idea is you cannot serve two masters. So who is your king? Who is your pre- pre- preeminent v- you know, voice in your heart and your life? He's asking us not to be lured by the anxieties of life. So what's filling our thought life? Don't be lured by wealth. If it's the thorny soil, your hat, you have pruning shears. Cut it out. Whatever it is or they are in your life. So what does the spirit of the living God reveal to you this morning from the word of God? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. Um, We think of pruning and we, th- we think of redirecting and training ourselves or practicing something and we realize and recognize that there's a, uh, a fundamental ele- elementary aspect of that. That sometimes we, we set aside because we think we have graduated. The one-bys that we used to run and track or the math facts that we would have to learn in elementary school. Or maybe even some of the, the, the English sentence structures that are gone. I mean, 
we, we remember when we come up to certain things that we, we have to be renewed on those places and spaces that you've called us into, those practices of Jesus. And so, Father, forgive us for setting aside some of those practices that allow our, our seed, allow the seed to produce in the soil that is good. So Lord, would you, would you lead us to hear this morning? Would you lead us to hear this morning? So friends, uh, as, we, as we move into uh, a time of, of singing, I just want to remind you that this time is not just of singing and leaving, but this time is an opportunity for you to, um, to hear the spirit of the living God and respond appropriately. Uh, to make decisions here that, 